Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Hi, welcome to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan. Here we look at how we can be healthy, how we can have optimal health, and how what we can do ourselves to get on that path of optimal health. So we can do it without having to run to our doctors, but we can get information that we can share with others. Very important in our health is putting the right things in our body and avoiding the toxins. We've got a huge toxic soup in our whole world with toxins everywhere and each one takes a bite out of us. Some of them are environmental and we will discuss that today. We'll tell you a little bit of toxins not going to hurt you, but these are synergistic and there's so many of them that we have to be aware. So today we're going to learn more about the environmental toxins. Today we are lucky to have Nikki Florio. She's the founder and director of Be Heroic. This is an adult-focused climate pollinator sustainability project. She grew up in the San Joaquin Valley and moved to Lake Tahoe as a young adult where her passion and activism for the environment was sparked. After college, she designed the region's first fully integrated sustainable business lifestyles and education project, the Tahoe Regional Environmental Education Program, abbreviated TREE, T-R-E-E. After nearly a decade of that project, she began to notice drastic changes in weather and environment influenced by technology called geoengineering. What's that? We're going to find out. Her understanding and research of the issues and impacts surrounding this dangerous technology and agrochemical and 5G led to the creation of Be Heroic. She currently presents on these issues throughout the Western state. So, Welcome, Nikki. We're going to learn about what geoengineering is and what are some of these environmental things that are going to affect our health. So let's look at the underlying technologies the, the, and what this is leading to and what's going on. So, Nikki, first, how about telling us a little bit about your background and what led you to start Be Heroic? Well, um, as you had said, um, when I was working uh, doing the tree program, uh, the the regional environmental program, uh, in in that 10-year period, I was outside every day, every season, a lot of times at night. And even though I'd had meteorology classes and learned about uh, weather weather modification, basic things like cloud seeding and fog mitigation, I had never even heard the term geoengineering. So when we had these anomalies um, come through, Everything from thunder, snow to storms without storm fronts, um, and then complete silence in the uh, in the forest, um, and even in in the deserts after these after these odd rain or weather events. I would Google them, and they would come up as geoengineering. And uh, geoengineering is defined as deliberate large scale intervention in Earth's natural systems to counteract climate change. And I, I had never. Uh, of course, heard the term, so I didn't really believe it, but the more I looked into it, um, the more awake I became to it. And then I came upon uh, an excellent uh, 
documentary that was made uh, way back, I think, in 2007, called Why in the World Are They Spraying, where uh, they had a host of different scientists and um, ag professionals and meteorologists all discussing the technology. And, and as with the pandemic, where the truth is hidden, um, and you have to kind of search through different organizations, freedom organizations, and American frontline doctors. You have to kind of do the same thing to see this technology. And so that's kind of how I started uh, Be Heroic. So I took a couple of years off and did some research and, and had, a, had, a, had a good core group of scientists and physicians that I worked with, and that's how Be Heroic started. So... What is Be Heroic, and can you give an overview of the issues you cover? Oh, so so Be Heroic, we, in, in its simplest terms, is is a is a uh, project designed to expose technologies that mainstream media doesn't cover, and that you can't uh, generally find out the truth about through uh, through media or. Even professional organizations or science organizations or educational foundations. So we cover, um, uh, I've covered agrochemical for, for about uh, 25 years, um, but in the past decade more, uh, I've done geoengineering and 5G or fifth generation telecom issues. And we, did, we, we cover these issues because they have huge impacts on environment and biologic health. So what are these new technologies? What are they? What is geoengineering? What are they doing? What are they trying to do? What is it? Well, um, geoengineering is uh, in, in controlling the systems in the atmosphere, you have control over global economy. Now, with geoengineering, there are different objectives. Um, the, the, the primary objective stated, if you, if you just Google basic geoengineering or what is geoengineering, you're going to get a lot of information on what science foundations cover. So um, before, we go, before we go into geoengineering, would you mind if, if I covered the, the differences between climate change and climate engineering? I want this to be your message and getting your information oh. <laughs> out. So any way you wish to do it, please guide me. Okay. Um, so, so in, in, in these, uh, these groups of issues, we call it kind of a triple threat, um, agrochemical and geoengineering and 5G. Uh, for, for the past 30 years, 30 or 40 years, um, the U.S. and the world has been fed a steady stream of misinformation on the environment um, and through, through governments and media, and, and this has helped kind of set up the, the state of the environment today that we are hearing of as, as climate change. Now, the climate is changing. Um, we have more extreme weather, more weather whiplash, uh, and, and by weather whiplash, I mean hot to cold, and in extremes, I mean drought to floods and things like that. Um, and we also have things like more extreme hail and more lightning. And so, so all of these things are not are not caused by carbon dioxide or uh, CO two e's or the carbon dioxide equivalents like methane. Um, having too much of those uh, of those um, elements in the atmosphere is is definitely not a good thing. But it's not the, the primary driver behind the changes that we are seeing today. 
when when you look at at the term climate change, it has gone through several uh, several different titles. Um, back in the 70s, it was called the greenhouse effect, and then in the late 90s and early 2000s, it was called global warming, and today it's called climate change. And they had to use the word climate change because we are also now having freezing events. Um, but in a greenhouse, uh, carbon dioxide is extremely important in a greenhouse. And when you walk into a greenhouse, if you think about the earth, you know, we're encapsulated, our atmosphere, we have oxygen and carbon dioxide and then gases. And, and uh, in a greenhouse, when you, when you think about the, sen- the sensuality of the greenhouse, what you see, what you feel, kind of even what you're smelling and tasting, uh, you see a very rich, lush, uh, green environment. And because it's, it's, because these plants, um, whether it's a, a floral greenhouse or a, a grow house um, for, for different types of uh, crops or plants, you have um, a, a generally very humid environment and so humid sometimes that the water will drip down the walls. Um, it's also an, an oxygen-rich environment that the uh, plants are giving off a lot of uh, a lot of oxygen, and uh, and what plants absorb is carbon dioxide. And carbon dioxide in large-scale greenhouses is so important that they even purchase commercial CO2 emitters. So they put these in the in the in the greenhouse, and they help to uh, you know help boost the growth of what's occurring in the greenhouse. So you have a, a, a lush environment, very fragrant, very healthy plants, and it's very moist. So when you have all of this heat on Earth and heat is escaping into the atmosphere, it should be forming lots of clouds and lots of moisture, and it, and we should have more of a tropical. Uh, the, the, the tropics should expand far beyond um, the equator where they are now if it was a true greenhouse effect. So we would have heavy heavy levels of dew everywhere. Humidity levels would be very high. Um, and uh, plants would be flourishing, rich and lush, at least for for a period of time. But we never went through that period. We didn't go through it in the 70s or 80s or 90s. Instead, what we are having is a perpetually more dry environment. Relative humidity levels and humidity levels have dropped precipitously. Um, you mentioned earlier, I grew up in the San Joaquin Valley, Sacramento Valley, um, and they used to have uh, all these different areas of fog in the valley and on the coastline, and that's gone. And um, up in the Sierra Nevadas and other other mountain ranges like the Rockies and uh, and, and Appalachia, the uh, the dew levels are dropping. We no longer have dew in the meadows. Um, the morning dew that we have, uh, dew is extremely important for for uh, soil and plant microbes, the microbes that live in the soil and the ones that live on plants, and also for uh, for a huge array of insects and birds that don't travel far or that are just terrestrial. So uh, with this very dry environment, um, plants are, are drying out very drastically. And, uh, and instead of having increased oxygen, oxygen levels are decreasing globally. Now, climate change from CO2 doesn't match up with these issues, but geoengineering or climate engineering, um, it does. So, so now we can now we can kind of get into to geoengineering if you'd like. Okay, so you're saying that 
okay, that drying up is a bad thing because obviously the dew provides moisture to the earth. And we can't explain this by global warming or CO2 increase or animals flatulating and car exhaust. But geoengineering is a possible explanation. So tell me more. Okay. So, um, so, so uh, geoengineering uh, in, a, in a scientific sense uh, has, has an objective. So the, the three areas that, that cover geoengineering are science, science foundations that do climate mitigation uh, research, development, and execution of different projects and technology. But the military uh, does geoengineering for um, utilization in warfare or to protect, protect our troops. Um, and then in, in, in the commercial world, um, global uh, trading and marketing um, using weather for profit is, is uh, what is used most. Now, for climate mitigation, um, there's a handful of research and development institutions in the U.S., um, uh, UCAR and NCAR out of Colorado, and NASA does some of the projects, the North American Interstate Weather Modification Council, Stanford, Harvard, Cornell, blah, blah, blah. There's, there's a lot of institutions that do work. Now, when they do their work on geoengineering, they cover two, two specific areas. They cover uh, an area called solar radiation management, and that is the blocking of the sun to help cool the planet, and they also do carbon dioxide removal, which is the, the carbon sequestration. Um, so uh, Stanford University, for example, will do uh, projects on how effective the technology is, how affordable it is, and how safe it is. So uh, they, they study everything from these stratospheric aerosols uh, for blocking the sun to doing things like planting called afforestation. But in these technologies um, where they're, they're discussing it as a beneficial technology, uh, there's still focus mostly on uh, on profit for the tech industry and agrochemical industries. Um, while Oxford University does uh, projects for how cool, how, how quickly they can cool the planet, uh, readiness and cost. And so uh, when they do these, there's a host of technologies. But before we go to the, the technologies, I want to kind of go through uh, the, the government and military use, and then also the uses uh, the uses for commercial. So, so geoengineering or, or, or weather modification goes back well over seven decades. Um, at first, when we were modifying the weather, it was very localized. Uh, even even Tesla um, would would do projects. He could create clouds indoors. Um, so. So everything from a very technologically advanced to an accidental geoengineering or an accidental weather system was created. But by the, by the 60s and 70s, we had big plans. The federal government had big plans. And Lyndon B. Johnson, when he was the VP, had addressed uh, Southwest Texas State University. This was way back in the early 60s. And he, you know, he was stating that these, these technologies, and, and I'm going to read a quote of his. It says, it lays the predicate and foundation for the development of a weather satellite that will permit man to determine the world's cloud layer and ultimately to control the weather. A 
and he who controls the weather will control the world. Now, the U.S. wasn't the only one working on weather modification back then, um, and, and weather modification projects used to be very public. And there's, there's, there's uh, hundreds uh, of, of federal documents um, and, and thousands collectively that go, go way, way back. Uh, if, if anyone wants to take a look at a website called weathermodificationhistory.com, it's phenomenal. It's got, um, it's got uh, information on the, the historical record and, and a lot of the technologies we'll be talking about uh, for, for weather modification all the way through to geoengineering. Now, in 1996, the, the federal government, U.S. Air Force, uh, wrote a research paper called Owning the Weather in 2025, Weather as a Force Multiplier. And it outlined all these different technologies and how to degrade enemy forces and help our own forces. And then a few years later, the U.S. Air Force uh, 2025 was a study that was directed by uh, the chief of staff of the U.S. Uh, Air Force to identify uh, key systems and technologies for achieving uh, air and space global dominance by 2025. And we're actually already there um, because of a, a lot of different things that are occurring. But uh, we've used weather modifications throughout history. Um, in, in, uh, during the Vietnam War, uh, we had a project called Operation Popeye where we flooded out the Ho Chi Minh Trail and cut off, uh, essentially cut off all of the Supplies to uh, from to North Korea, so um, so that's essentially how we ended the war. Now we could have used this technology at the beginning of the war, but as you know, and your listeners probably know, uh, there's just so much money in in warfare that they'll they, they'd rather um, you know give up human life than than actually stop making a profit. So um, that project uh, again was called Operation Popeye. Anyone can look it up. It's on. Uh, I just Basic wanted to make a correction there. You said that it would uh, affect, uh, you know, things going to North Korea. I assume you meant North Vietnam. Oh, excuse me. Yes. Sorry. Okay. Continue. Uh, sorry about that. Yes. Uh, so, so after Operation Popeye, the United Nations got together and 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 put a put a treaty together called the NMOD Treaty or Environmental Modification Treaty, and that was an agreement among countries to not use weather for warfare. But of course, you know the U.S. is not doesn't like being told what to do. Uh, so we've been we've been using it um, both uh, in a foreign capacity and domestically uh, for several decades now. Um, in 2011, uh, Mohammed Ahmadinejad, uh, who at the time I think was uh, was um, discussing the Western countries inducing drought in Iran. Now, the, the funding for all of this generally comes from U.S. taxpayers, but for, on the commercial end of weather modification, uh, most people have heard of basic weather modification. Um, anyone who lives in a, in a mountain resort area knows that they do uh, cloud seeding and they also do snowmaking, um, but a lot of the public projects that they discuss are very antiquated. Um, on... on uh, on the global weather exchanges, um, Chicago Mercantile Exchange, NASDAQ, blah, 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 they'll discuss the, the, the different, uh, different projects and the technologies that are traded and the benefits of uh, weather disasters. Um, I mean, we call it disaster capitalism, but it's, it, it's, it's entitled uh, disaster reinsurance. Uh, 
But on the commercial end, there are large-scale companies um, like Weather Modification Incorporated uh, that's been running projects all over the world for uh, for over 50 years. In the U.S. alone, uh, they've done projects with uh, Edwards Aquifer Authority, the FAA, Illinois Weather Modification, uh, Nevada State Cloud Seeding Program, uh, Naval Surface Warfare Center, and, and a bunch of others. And you can get on their website and check that out. And then there are mid-scale projects that are done as well. Um, and these are done with a little bit more advanced uh, types of technologies. And then small-scale projects. Um, and small-scale projects are generally ones that are uh, around $100,000 where someone will come in and seed, cloud seed a system to, to uh, quote, unquote, ring out the rain so that you can have a sunny wedding or you can have a sunny uh, football game or, or anything like that. Now, how these are executed um, are through a scope of technology. Um, there's a, there's a, a, about a dozen technologies. Um, some are used individually. Some are used in conjunction with each other. But uh, some are more visible than others. Now, the most visible of all of the technologies are the aerosol technologies. Uh, uh, for years, um, people uh, were called conspiracy theorists if they pointed to the sky and pointed to these long, extended, uh, persistent contrails that came out of planes. But that's actually a, a stated technology in, in geoengineering. It's, it's an aerosol technology. So today, in these aerosol technologies, um, we use both commercial and military planes. Uh, we also use rockets and balloons. Um, and then over the ocean, they do what's called ship tracking, which is making massive clouds over the ocean uh, from, from modified uh, ship stacks. Um, and, and going back to global warming and climate change, in that back in, for, for those of us who were alive back in the 60s, 70s, and early 80s, when you watched the news, they would actually show a, a global image from a satellite of a system coming in so you could read the system you know, coming in, as well as the fact that meteorologists back then uh, would do uh, temperature and barometric pressure, and they would read through what was occurring. But today, all we see is Doppler radar. But if you look at a, at a global satellite image, a daily image of Earth, uh, we have perpetual cloud cover over all of Earth's oceans, and, and the majority of them are what are called engineered clouds or manufactured clouds. And for blocking sunlight, um, for solar radiation management, this, this stops the sunlight coming in during the day, but the clouds remain in the evening, so it doesn't allow the heat to escape back at night. So it actually exacerbates the warming of the planet. Um, and then other technologies include ionospheric heaters. Um, a lot of people have heard of HARC uh, in Kakona, Alaska. Uh, that was... That was uh, reported to be turned off for a few years, but it was turned back on uh, a couple of years ago. And um, even universities like Stanford um, do, do projects uh, with HARP, but it's, it's generally a military facility. But there are several dozen uh, in both the northern and southern hemisphere, several dozen ionospheric heaters, and you can find maps of these on a website called Climate Viewer, um, which gives you a, a map of these and other geoengineering technologies. So there's also uh, cloud ionizers, and these are um, these are 
these these can create rain in a broader sense than than simply um, using airplanes. Uh, using airplanes is, is fairly antiquated when you're doing uh, making clouds. And, and then there's also uh, laser technologies. And for example, in in using ionizing uh, ground-based ionizers uh, and and these advanced technologies um, in uh, 2018. Um, China had a had already installed a massive uh, a, a, a massive system of chambers on the Tibetan plateau. Now this will feed into rivers that have hydroelectric dams, so they're using it for a commercial for commercial needs. Now, um, if you want to control global economies, weather is the way to do it, because a handful of the most important industries on Earth is directly connected to the weather, and this is. Uh, this is agriculture, transportation, telecommunications, mining, um, and and uh, a handful of other industries. But all of the other industries and, and energy, of course, um, both both conventional energy and uh, and quote unquote green energy are dependent on the planet. So if you can control the weather around these industries, um, because the others are generally dependent on them. You have control over global economy, um, and in the telecom industry in particular, you really have to be able to control the weather, especially with 5G and the and the uh, and the hundreds of thousands of low Earth orbiting satellites used with 5G. You can't have automated systems be interrupted um, if you're transmitting information back and forth. So, uh, so, so controlling those is huge, but. Uh, the U.S. used to be very open, as China is uh, currently, with, with their weather modification programs. But in an entertainment sense, for example, um, in, during the uh, 2008 Olympics, uh, in order to keep the rain from coming, China, uh, China rung out the system ahead of the Olympics to keep it from raining during the Summer Olympics. And then this winter, uh, the China Olympics, and this winter was the very first Olympic that was... Uh, an, an entirely engineered system, an entirely engineered ice creation project. So these these projects are occurring so frequently, um, and that was just one technology. That aerosol technology is one of the technologies, and then you, it's the primary visible one. They use chemical and uh, chemical and uh, chemical agents, or these metallic agents. They, they uh, recently found. Um, some researchers have recently found um, nanographene, but aluminum, barium, strontium, sulfur, iron oxide, these are all elements that rain down on us every day from this project. So they're doing these so often, um, and most people have noticed it even mildly conscious um, because we now have perpetual haze all over the world and, and our, our, our systems are changing and our clouds are changing. And it is so prevalent that in 2017, the American Meteorological Society and World Meteorological Organization listed new cloud types. And the very first cloud type listed was contrail to cirrus, uh, called homogenesis or man-made. So they also call it uh, persistent contrail, persistent spreading contrail. contrail. And this is what uh, people who were called conspiracy theorists called, uh, had called them chemtrails. Now, the, the chemtrail term is a misnomer. Um, 
Chemtrails is a is, is an actual title of uh, chemical aerosol trails that was uh, defined by the U.S. Air Force in a, in a document. I think it was from 1996 on on this type of geoengineering. But because these planes are not simply spraying chemicals, sometimes they're they're metallic or biologic agents. Um, that's that it's just a, a misnomer. But those people aren't actually theorists. They're conspiracy, you know, people who are researching what is occurring that they're not being told. You can't be called a, a conspiracy theorist today for any of this because it's easy to find the information now. Um, so natural condensation trail, as opposed to a, a, an engineered con- condensation trail, need a specific engine type uh, that that will that will make a trail at minus uh, minus. Uh, 40 degrees at at least 70% humidity it needs to be well above 28,000 feet. And we'll see these trails being made when there's, uh, you know, humidity levels are way lower, the temperature is way higher, and almost all commercial jets today use a high-bypass turbofan engine, which is designed to not make these trails. Um, but uh, when it comes to things environmentally, uh, like agriculture and wildfires, these have huge uh, impacts. Because, of, because these nanoparticulates um, exhibit an explosion severity that's not disproportionate to micrometer-sized materials. So the likelihood of explosion is much higher because it has lower ignition energies and temperatures. So, so these aerosol projects are going on all over the U.S. and all over the world over farmlands and forests. So these particulates... Uh, because they're a nanoparticle, they're actually breaking down the moisture, which is one of the reasons we have such low humidity levels and the dew uh, that we don't see dew anymore uh, because these, these are heavier particulates and they break everything up. But once in the soil, um, there's a few particular elements, um, aluminum, barium, strontium, sulfur, and iron oxide from the Wellsbach patent. Um, the aluminum disrupts a plant's ability to take up moisture and nutrients. So when all of these uh, plants have been sprayed for, for years, going on decades now in some areas, uh, it, it makes the, makes the, uh, the plant uh, very uh, intolerant to, to heat and very um, susceptible to wildfires. And you'll even see... Uh, in global maps over these wildfire areas, you'll see them spraying these, these particulates. And when we present on these, on these issues, we do presentations and workshops. We, sh- we actually show footage and, and documents and show the lab tests of, uh, of, of uh, what's coming down in rainwater over these areas. And uh, these other, that, that first cloud type called homogenitus is made from these big, long aerosols that spread out and create a big cloud cover. But other clouds can be made from that by, um, by addressing with frequency. So we have a whole new set of altosterous clouds, which look like high, flat, squished uh, cotton balls, like, like cotton balls or mashed potatoes that you would squish between two pieces of glass. They're very flat clouds. And then you'll also see scalar clouds. And, and both of those uh, you'll see within um, within uh, several hours or several minutes or even seconds of the release of the of the aerosol if um, frequencies are applied to them. And then uh, there's only a few more other new cloud types. Uh, shelf clouds have replaced natural storm fronts, 
and these long roll clouds um, that can go a few hundred meters to a couple miles. Um, they're very low, and just like the name says, they, they're rolling clouds. Um, those are both part of the Arcus family. And then you'll see these uh, once you have a, a cloud layer set, uh, undulatus. Um, Asteratus is a kind of a, it looks like they're underwater when you, when you look at it in a time lapse, the very wavy cloud. But one of the most uh, surprising clouds is one called Mammatus that looks like these bulby clouds that are just sinking out of the sky. And I never saw any of those clouds until my mid-40s, and then I've seen them now hundreds of times since. I, I've driven through the western states doing presentations and projects uh, for, for almost eight years now, and I see them fairly regularly. Because of the particulates in the atmosphere, too, we end up with uh, saturated uh, atmospheres during during rain events when they when they are when they are are, are a, doing a rain event when the sky clears. Uh, we don't have natural rainbows anymore. Um, if you really take a good look at these rainbows, you'll almost always see these double rainbows, and the and the arch is at 180 degrees, a uh, uh, 45 degree angle, and. And it's, it's very unlike a natural, long, low, sloping um, rainbow that I, I think those are at 14 degrees, but I, I have to look that up. I can't remember. But, um, but uh, they, they also generally don't have that full natural spectrum. Now, when you have these particulates in the atmosphere, they're, they're doing a lot of things. They're, they're breaking up natural systems. Um, they allow... They allow whoever's engineering the weather for whatever purpose, whether it's to bring moisture to another area to, to um, release it for, for um, agriculture, for agrochemical, or, or if you're just moving a system around. Um, the, the atmosphere is, is electrostatic, and it becomes even more electrostatic, so you end up with a lot more extreme lightning and extreme hail events as well, and that kills livestock and damages crops, and um, you'll notice that those are uh, becoming more and, and more prevalent. Um, but in the military, with all of these extreme storms that we're having and on the commercial side of it, you know, people look at these super storms, like Superstorm Sandy and uh, Hurricane Harvey and uh, Hurricane Katrina, and don't realize that those are enormous money makers. Now we've had uh, the ability to to modify hurricanes for several decades. Um, more recently, uh, I think it was I, I think it was after Hurricane Katrina um, in 2008 in Boulder, Colorado, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and Department of Commerce and NOAA got together in, in Boulder and hosted a hurricane modification workshop where they went through different ways you could modify uh, a hurricane and affect the, the forces of the hurricanes. And so they listed a whole bunch of stuff, and one of the things that they had, they had listed was, was, was um, modification using carbon black aerosols. Now, we've been using carbon black aerosols. You see them a lot um, throughout the U.S. and world. Uh, in the evenings, they'll start spraying the darker aerosols. They, they'll do it at night because you really cannot tell much of a difference. They also spray these darker aerosols over clouds um, if you have a storm system. So as the cloud system breaks up, instead of having a gorgeous, bright, 
stellar sky and clean vehicles, you end up with spots all over your vehicles, and the sky is really hazy and murky. Um, but in, in, in use with Hurricane, uh, the result of the, the, the project in 2008 in Boulder, Colorado, with DHS, um, they, they set up an, another project the following year called uh, HAMP, which is a hurricane, uh, another hurricane modification project. And um, in that, uh, they were using it for hurricane intensification. But within the state of Colorado itself, way back in 1972, the University of Colorado was already working with Department of Defense um, on hurricane intensification using carbon black. So we've known that for years. And, um, and then early in, in early 2000, there was a company that had contacted NOAA about a product they had that, that you could spray over hurricanes to actually decrease the intensification and break the system up. And um, uh, they ended up being, they, they demonstrated it both uh, visually with, um, they, they took video of it, and then they also demonstrated it on Doppler radar. So they showed that they, they'd broken these storms up and, and they were threatened. So we do have the technology to, to, to slow down uh, and decrease the impacts of these hurricanes, but there's billions of dollars in, in contracts with them. Um, and then when it comes to ice events, you've probably noticed there's a lot more uh, ice events occurring, uh, a lot more ice damage. Almost all of our snowstorms in the U.S. and throughout the world uh, are, are modified uh, in some way or directly the result of an engineered uh, system. And, and uh, we've had uh, technology for ice nucleation chemicals, again, for, for years and years. Monsanto uh, has, a, has a bacteria um, called ice minus. It's, a, it's an older type of technology, but there's a lot of, a lot of newer technologies um, that, that engineer weather through supercooling. And when they test these, these systems, and they, quote-unquote, they being anyone from a commercial entity to a university, um, every, every state in the U.S. And, and the federal laws for weather modification are, are different. So there's different regulations, but, but it generally overall is legal without the knowledge or consent of citizens. Um, there, there's a group called Zero Geoengineering uh, that, that uh, is doing a project um, in, the, in the eastern states for, for setting up um, new laws that, that, that provide informed consent for the state. So that they're working on those right now. Uh, Well, you've got so much information here, and I think there's so much other information. I want to make sure we touch upon all the important topics. So what I'm hearing you saying is that there's private motivation, there's agricultural and military uses for this. I mean, you can create bad weather in other places. You can uh, have dry climates or a country doesn't thrive. I mean, the aluminum that uh, affects plants so they can't intake uh, nutrients can affect us all. Are there other negative effects of these? For example, didn't you say at one time that normally forest fires like in California 
create clouds to put them out, but this is no longer happening. So tell us some of the negative effects and why we should be concerned other than the ones I just mentioned. Well, environmentally, uh, these impact everything from the ground up. Uh, the, 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 the microbes in the soil, the microbes in the fungi in soil are impacted. Trees and plants are impacted. Um, and insects, uh, in, inhaling these for any, any animal on Earth um, is, is very dangerous. Uh, and because it gets into the ground and soils, it's getting into the food. But for, for pollinators, um, when they are taking nectar from the plant, their bodies are becoming loaded with aluminum. And there's a study out of, uh, out of Leeds University um, that showed that, that uh, pupa, bumblebee pupa, are emerging um, coated in aluminum, and, and they have neurologic impacts that, that are similar to, to dementia and Alzheimer's. Wow. So it's so, affecting so the food supply, uh, which is definitely going to affect all of us. And didn't you at one point say that normally when there's a forest fire, it creates clouds that will rain and put the forest fire out? Isn't that another bad outcome? Yes, yes. Um, but, but, uh, but, but on the, on the same track as animals, um, humans, we are inhaling this, these, these particulates as well, and, and more recently, nanographene as well. Um, and that causes also neurologic problems with us. And, and there's a document in the National Institute of Health that states that the element, uh, the basic geoengineering element, um, impacts every uh, system of our body, hepatic, renal, endocrine, cardiovascular, neurologic, and etc. So, so these are causing everything from uh, from from COPD to other respiratory and neurologic diseases and cancers. But when when these uh, when when they spray over the, the the forest and the forest starts to have these wildfires in nature, when you have a large scale forest fire, a massive wildfire. Uh, wildfires will create a, a cloud called a pyrocumulus cloud, and it's a massive heated cloud, um, and it builds up and builds up, and uh, it's very hot, but it, as, it, as it's going up in, in, in atmosphere, it's also going into, into areas where there's a lot of moisture, so you'll see a lot of, a lot of uh, disturbance and lightning, but um, with big enough fires, they'll also fold back over onto themselves and become what's called a pyrocumulonimbus. And, and these will create rain because up, way up higher, they're, they're getting all that moisture and the, and the system's becoming heavier and more moist, and it ends up raining ahead of the fire. So the direction of the fire is where the smoke will go, uh, or the, where the smoke is going is the direction of the fire. And so as it's folding over and raining out, um, it's cooling the area down ahead of the fire and it's also putting moisture down. And this is how nature has put out its own fires for millennia, these massive fires. But when you, when you, uh, if you can cap or stop that convective system, that uplift, you can uh, keep that fire going as long as you want. And so that's what they, that's what they do in a, in a lot of the cases with these, these larger global wildfires. Why? Uh, got me. <laughs> there's there's a lot of money in uh, in in cleaning these up. Um, 
You can also cause a lot of distress. Uh, you can you can move people towards uh, more centralized areas as as part of the Great Reset. Um, and, and as with hurricanes, there is a lot of money in in uh, reconstruction and in, in disaster capitalism. Uh, for example, with the Hurricane Katrina, in the rebuilding of infrastructure, there was, uh, I think, around $88 million just in Katrina alone. And uh, in, the, in, the, in the infrastructure contract, the bulk of those contracts went to Halliburton and Bechtel, um, the, the military contractors. And, and then by the time Harvey came, uh, it was up to, I think, $160 billion. So within uh, around a decade, uh, it had it had pretty much doubled. That money had doubled. But, so let me recap uh, here. So this okay. is going to adversely affect our health because it's nanoparticles, aluminum, et cetera. It's going to affect our pollinators on which our food depends. It's going to affect our animals. It's going to affect our soil and our whole environment. How does this play in with 5G and glyphosate and you know, herbicides? Well, um, Monsanto, for example, makes uh, aluminum aluminum tolerant uh, crops. They're creating, for example, they have an aluminum tolerant sorghum crop. And they're also, with other, the other problems with geoengineering, you know, blocking sunlight to cool the planet might help cool the planet, but life on Earth depends on that sunlight. Uh, plants don't photosynthesize without it. So Monsanto and Bayer and um, probably other uh, large um, agrochemical companies and chemical companies are, are both working on creating crops that grow in low sunlight, uh, but also are, are working on massive, large-scale indoor grow houses. So um, geoengineering elements are breaking down the uh, ozone. You walk outside, and even if it's just a warm day, not, not in the hundreds, just a warm day, 70s or 80 degrees, um, your body, you feel the sun, it actually burns. And that's because UVC radiation is, is now coming in. Now, when you are working on telecommunications and the telecommunications industry, um, the military, when they're doing aerosol projects, they use, a, they use an element called chaff. And that's, uh, I think it's an aluminum-coated fiberglass. And they can use that for, for communications. And, and, and it's... It, similar to what's being used today in the primary geoengineering project. But too much moisture in the atmosphere disrupts signals. So you want to make sure the air is as dry as possible. And when we look up and we see these, these big persistent contrasts and all these other clouds, those are, those are not natural clouds with moisture. Those are clouds that are actually dry. They're breaking up the moisture. And when we have rain events today, we either have these spitting, you know, these, these little, um, these little sprinkling spitty events, or we have hardcore downpours. We no longer have rain that comes in with the system and it's gaining, um, and it's gaining momentum, like as, as with a storm front where it, it comes and you have these winds pushing the front and then it rains and the rain gets harder and harder and, and then 
if you're up if you're up in the mountains, for example, that rain during the evening as the temperature drops, it turns to snow, and then you wake up, you have the storm for a couple of days, uh, or even if it's just a rainstorm, and then the clouds roll out and they, and they break up and you have a blue sky. They don't have that. We either have one extreme or the other. So so. 5G is fifth-generation uh, telecommunications, for those of you who don't know, and it's served up to us on this magical 5G, you know, download a movie quicker platter. Um, and they also discussed that, you know, we'll be able to have things like driverless vehicles and, and you can, you know, turn your oven on before you get home so you can, you know, throw the, throw the bread in the oven very quickly. They even make diapers that let you know when your baby has pooped. But they don't tell you the, the actual information on what that type of uh, technology is. So 5G is the foundation for what's called the Internet of Things. The Internet of Things is, uh, is a conglomeration of technology uh, that includes satellite or low Earth orbiting, LEO, LEO satellite and, and ground-based Antenna and the antennas um, go from from 4G LTE, which is the low spectrum, the low end of 5G, uh, to to LED street lamps. Um, so so you go from regular hertz waves, which is we live we live at 7.83 hertz, we live at the Schumann resonance, and we're comfortable, you know, within that range. Uh, and then. When, when you go through these different technologies, 2G, 3G, you kind of bypass 3G, but up to 4G, you go from hertz to megahertz, these longer waves. But when you get to gigahertz, you go from, uh, from a median cycle of, uh, a median cycle per second um, tempo to a million cycles per second, and then with 5G, it jumps to a, 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 with a billion cycles per second. So the, the frequency uh, is high, the waves are extremely short, so they don't travel very far. So we've installed millions of antennas uh, throughout the U.S. and around 350 million new LED street lamps. And this is because uh, because the, the range isn't very far. You have to have a lot of overlapping uh, overlapping reception and transmission. So you can't have a driverless semi going down the highway that loses reception. For, for 200 yards, you have to have persistent, constant connection. Um, so th they've uh, added all these ground-based antennas over the past couple of years while Americans were busy, you know, being Americans, you know, gluttonous society and, and inattentive to anything happening outside of their world. And, and the telecom industry and elitists, um, they know this, and this is not a conspiracy theory. I mean, they, they know that people are not, Americans are generally inattentive to anything going on. So, so in, in these recent decades, you know, they've been working on these 5G projects. So uh, the towers look like everything from regular single cell towers. They also make them some that look like pine trees or, or cacti. Um, but... Uh, the, the cell phones that go along with them, these 5G cell phones, are a, are a tracking and tracing device. Um, when you look at them, the facial recognition, whether it's facial recognition or um, the, the 
uh, perpetual recording of every single thing you do, every single thing your children do if your children are holding them. It's, it's all about tracking and finding out what you want because in a commercial sense, um, 5G is, is highly profitable for the investment company. Now, um, under the Great Reset, uh, there's a, a, a section of transhumanism. And the transhumanistic agenda is, is moving people out of the human realm into an, an engineered realm where you can be controlled. So, you know, holding these phones constantly, uh, holding phones and becoming addicted to phones is, is one of the easiest ways that they can get to control you um, because they see what you like. They can feed you information based on your beliefs and your wants and your desires, and then they can manipulate what you're doing. And then in addition to that, you're inhaling these metallic elements that make you more susceptible to these different frequencies. Now, 5G goes from 30 gigahertz to 300 gigahertz. And over the past few years, the high end of that spectrum has been auctioned off um, through both the Obama administration and the Trump administration. And... Uh, these frequencies impact our body uh, in a very negative manner. Um, the, the lower frequencies cause uh, an array of problems, but, but overall health problems uh, in, in, include neurologic problems, respiratory problems, uh, immunodeficiency, immuno, uh, uh, and all kinds of things. And because 5G goes through these waves, go through the top two millimeters of our skin, our skin is the largest organ of the body. So uh, it, it, it causes problems, um, especially when it comes to, to viral load. And, and uh, around um, 18 gigs, it has, it has big okay, impact. I on hate to skin. interrupt, but we've got one minute left. Can you summarize oh, your sorry. most important information, how to get a hold of you, and, you know, most important message you want to leave with the listener. There's been very alarming situation about how it's increasing the toxicity that we're exposed to and our susceptibility to disease. But what are your final parting words? Oh, um, so, so these technologies, geoengineering, agrochemical, and 5G are, are kind of the trifecta of destruction. So if we want to stop the reset, we need to take the reins out of the hands of the genocidal, ecocidal maniac. Um, and, and there are organizations that are already working on this. Um, if you have any questions um, on, on this or any of the other topics that we cover, uh, you can email me at beheroic at gmail.com. That's B-E-E-H-E-R-O-I-C at gmail.com. Uh, my name is Nikki Florio, N-I-K-K-I-S-L-O-R-I-O. We also do presentations um, and workshops, so if you want any information on, on that as well or uh, information on physicians' organizations for any of these topics or uh, activist organizations, uh, I'd love to get to see. Wow, that was an earful. I mean, so there's extra toxins that we're exposed to, and it doesn't matter how well we control our health, how well we control our diet, how well we control our lifestyle and stress things. So there's so many toxins available. It just means it's so much more important to minimize the exposure of other toxins because these toxins are synergistic, a direct cause to inflammation, oxidative stress, etc. We know EMF impairs our and glyphosate 
impairs our cellular communication between cells, our, opens our blood-brain barrier, gut barriers. I mean, glyphosate interferes with detox pathways. So many things we're exposed to, we have to try so hard to be healthy. So what I would like is if you could share this with folks, discuss any decisions with your physician, and above all, be well. Thank you for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week. Wake up.